The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our latest podcast. Uh, A couple of things that we're going to touch on here. Most involves the tender deadline. Of course, there was some recent news that the Rays announced, and that actually was good news regarding Wonder Franco, the Rays' top position player prospect and really one of the top, if not the top, prospect in the game. Had some bicep inflammation, some shoulder soreness, playing winter ball in Escojito, and he was examined by Dr. Coco Eaton in St. Petersburg. Uh, The Rays announced no structural injury, no long-term concerns, but they will uh, shut him down in terms of the rest of the winter ball season to make sure he's fully healthy going into 2021. Obviously, the Rays anticipate he'll be a big part of it. And the Rays also anticipate that several of the guys that they tendered at the deadline on uh, Wednesday will be a part of their uh, organization going forward. They tendered all seven players that were arbitration eligible, and we'll uh, chat about that with uh, Kevin Eibach from the Rays front office and also Mark Topkin in a moment from the Tampa Bay Times. I also do want to make sure that you are aware from a fan perspective that the Rays do have events going on. At Ray, you can check it out at RaysBaseball.com slash events tour. This is throughout Tampa Bay in the month of December. Um, there's an opportunity to uh, have photos of the American League Championship trophy. Uh, the, the chair that uh, Mike Brasso hit that home run off at Petco Park um, in the ALDS in the deciding game five. There's a pop-up merchandise trailer. A lot going on in the month of December and a number of events, seven already scheduled, uh, and there may be more added here in the month of December, and you can check it out at racebaseball.com slash events tour. We start, though, with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times with the Rays, again, tendering the seven players that were ARB eligible. And Mark, from your perspective, I'm curious if anything truly was a surprise to you. Yeah, I think I did, Neil. I mean, I, I think uh, I would have thought at least there would have some, been some extensive conversations about Jose Alvarado and and um, given just you know the back-to-back injury shortened, disappointing seasons. Although the salary, the projected salary is only about a million dollars, the uh, major league minimum for next year is five seventy five seventy and five hundred. So it's not a massive gap you know, whether you had him or a you know, entry-level person, and he has a chance to help the team. So that was a little bit maybe of a surprise. And then I, I wondered if they might have worked out a deal with Yanni Chirinos, uh, given that he's going to miss, you know, most or if not all of 2021, and then maybe, you know, did a 21-22 type deal on there. Uh, and the one thing the Rays didn't do that a bunch of other teams did is they, they worked out some deals with some of the players ahead of time, uh, which – Typically, the Rays are the ones doing that. So everyone else is doing it. The Rays must be on to something else, right? I don't know. I mean, generally, the Rays do make their deals, like, right before their own deadline, you know, the arbitration where where they kind of cut off negotiations. So, I mean, they still could make it. I mean, you suggested the idea of Yanni Chirinos being a multi-year deal. They could still do that in January, right, before they, they have the, the potential to go for hearings, correct? <laughs> Absolutely, because the Ray, the Rays are one of, and, and now almost all teams have joined them as a what's called a file and trial team, which is once you file the uh, figures, the team and the player exchange figures. I think the date's going to be January fifteenth in twenty twenty one, assuming that you know the calendar doesn't get changed. Uh, and up until then, you can negotiate. And then once you file, rather than continue to negotiate, the Rays have taken the position that, that creates an artificial midpoint. So they say once you file the number, be prepared to go to a, an arbitration hearing where they've been fairly successful. They have lost a couple of times more recently. So uh, there is plenty of time to work this out. 
Uh, there's plenty of time. You can still be traded if you're offered arbitration. You can even uh, go through the process, get a salary, and be in spring training and be let go. And depending on when in spring training you're let go, you can get only one-sixth or one-fourth of your money. An arbitration contract is not guaranteed until opening day. So uh, there's a number of, of kind of escape routes, to put it in, in a little bit of a pejorative term, for the Rays, even though they did offer arbitration to all seven players that were remaining. Yeah, basically what this means is, and and I think to try and put it in simplest terms for fans, Mark, is that the team now has control still of the player, and they obviously see that player as more valuable in the potential contract they would receive, right? To a degree. I think the only thing that I would say there, Neil, that maybe you need to account for is the volatility of where the arbitration award ends up being. I mean, because it's a binary process, the team picks a number, the player picks a number, so if the team goes just a little too low, uh, the arbitrators, if it did go to a hearing, could pick the other side. I mean, just, just use the projections that are out there publicly by MLBTradeRumors.com, which is a great resource for, for all of us in the industry, and I would assume for a lot of fans as well. And they annually do predict, predictions and projections on what the arbitration salaries are going to end up, and they're usually really close. Uh, and this year they basically said because of, the aberration of last year only being a 60-game season and not knowing how those stats are going to be applied. Arbitration is typically done on history. It's done by comparable players from past years is how they kind of come up with these salaries and what the award window should be. So they have a projection where Tyler Glass now could get anywhere between $2.6 million and $5.1 million. I'm sorry, $2.8 million and $5.1 million. If you're the Rays... That's a pretty big spread. Now, I think even at $5.1 million, they'd probably want to keep Tyler Glass now because they need really good pitchers, and he's a really good pitcher. But, you know, that just shows you that window there. And some of those guys with the larger spreads, you know, they have to – they can assume that the player is going to exceed the value, but they could also guess wrong on what the arbitration panel is going to end up giving and end up having to pay a higher salary than maybe they think the player's worth. Uh, but then they could also still turn around and trade the player. Sure, and, and I guess that's what I'm referring to. In the case of the players the Rays decided to tender, in most cases part of the reason you would tender a player is because you have a pretty strong belief that there, there's interest in him from your standpoint, but also from the rest of the league, that if you decide to engineer a trade like the Rays did with Tommy Pham or other players in the past, you, uh, Jake McGee for Corey Dickerson, a player they, right. they, they tendered, that they could go around and, and make a deal because the league, there are other teams for which that player would have interest at that, at that general area of value. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, look at it conversely with the name you just mentioned. The Padres were rumored to be considering non-tendering Tommy Pham, and they decided to tender him. Uh, and he's going to make upwards of $8 million, and he's coming off of three surgeries in this last season or offseason together. Uh, with a lot of unknowns about how he's going to be health-wise. And he might be a guy where it might work out, and he comes back and he plays like a 10 or $15 million player, and they get a great bargain. Or he's injured, uh, recovery is slow, isn't the same player. One of the surgeries was to the wrist, uh, you know, and obviously affects you hitting. So who knows what he's going to be like in two or three or four months from now. He just had the surgery a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, they, they could be taking a huge gamble at a massive number. Exactly. And, and then on the flip side of that, as we look nationally, and you mentioned, you know, Tommy Pham has got a race connection. There are a lot of guys like Kyle Schwarber and 
uh, Eddie Rosario, some guys of, of some fairly good ilk, um, Archie Bradley, who was acquired by the Reds from the Diamondbacks at the deadline, that are pretty good players out there who are now all of a sudden added to the free agent group. Yeah, and it's funny because some players will actually benefit from this because you're, if you're non-tendered, you're freed of those arbitration concerns. You're just now a free agent. And there, there could be a player who that arbitration window of what he was likely to make or the arbitration framework, I should say, of what he was likely to make could be topped by another team that really wants the guy. You, know, you might be a team that just thinks Kyle Schwarber, you know, if you're an American League team, you might just think, boy, he'd be great if he was unencumbered defensively. And you could just tell him, you're going to play 150 games. You know, most of them will be at DH. We'll run you out in the field once in a while. But, you know, it's really up to you. We, we're, you're here to hit. And he might just take off in that type of real positive environment. I mean, he's a name to me. I, I mentioned in my article in the Tampa Bay Times today a couple of catchers who are non-tendered, one being the former Ray Kurt Casale and then Tony Walters from Colorado. But also that just an interesting name. And not, not that he's going to go back to being a catcher, but Kyle Schwarber, would be a guy that could be a really good fit for the Rays and for a number of other teams, I think. Yes, and there are a lot of relievers that ended up on the market, too. I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, and people get to read it in the Times. Who are the names that you think would be of most interest from a Rays perspective? Oh, I, I haven't even been through the whole list of relievers, Neil, because it was so long. But, you know, I, I think we know that they're going to need some left-handed relief. I mean, even though they retained Alvarado or, you know, tendered him, uh, you know, we don't, you have no way to know what he's going to give you. Um, obviously, Poche is going to be out for most or if not all of the season, having had Tommy John. Um, free agent, uh, Loop is a free agent. So there, there's just, they have a limited number. Uh, you don't know if McClanahan's going to be a starter or he's going to be a reliever. So there, there's really, to me, a limited number of sure things they have from the left side right now. Uh, you, you would think that, you know, uh, Ryan Thompson earned his way to be in the bullpen again. John Curtis certainly did a good job. Maybe he's in there, maybe not. Uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of flexibility there. Obviously, Nick Anderson was the key guy. Diego Castillo certainly emerged. Pete Fairbanks. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know the Rays always have the attitude there's never you never can have enough relievers, but I, I think they actually have a pretty thick bullpen absent one more pretty dependable lefty uh, as they sit here right now. Yeah, I mean, Cody Reid is a guy that they got at the deadline right. who was injured, who I think they hope to be back. I think they think that Ryan Sheriff can be of, you know, some sort of serviceable use next year, too. Um, and there are a lot of guys they've had who've gotten righties and lefties out. But yeah, it certainly would make sense. Jason Shreve was a guy who I think was a little, it was a little surprising that we've seen with the Yankees, that the Mets had decided to non-tender. And who knows, maybe the Rays do have a fair amount of interest in him. But they're also going to have interest, Mark, on the, the starting pitching market, too, whether it's guys who are non-tendered or guys who are just free agents, because we haven't chatted about this, but obviously right before you were on vacation uh, at the time, but that's when Charlie Morton elected to go to the Braves, um, leaving a hole, and I, I thought the Rays were probably going to look for starting pitching anyway, even before all that. Sure, because, you know, the, the depth is obviously thinned out, Neil. I mean, Chirinos, you know, let's assume he's out for the whole year. Beeks is likely out for the whole year. Brendan McKay is going to be out for at least the first part of the year. And shoulder surgery, it's weird to say, but a shoulder surgery is trickier to come back from than a Tommy John surgery. There's a pretty set, you know, protocol and an expectation for the Tommy John guys 
the shoulder surgery guys, especially labor repairs, it's not a great track record. So, you know, who knows? I mean, we could guess right now between those three guys, how many starts in 2021 and, and zero might be in play there. I mean, you don't really know yet. So, you know, there's three guys that all could figure in that are all out. Uh, Charlie Morton, as we said, is out. Josh Fleming looked good in a limited opportunity as a rookie, but you can't count on him being that guy and certainly not that effective of a guy over a full season. So you've got Ryan Yarbrough. You don't know what Brett Honeywell is going to do, if he's going to be able to pitch the big league level and how durable he's going to be. I just think there's a lot of questions. So you've got, you know, what, what do you have going in here? You've got Glass now, Yarbrough. Well. Snell, we're going to come back to Snell in a second here. Um, and then really you've got to see what else, you know, who else do you want to bring up? Now you come back to Blake Snell. Do the Rays trade Blake Snell, Neil? I mean, I think, you know, I wrote a couple weeks ago that, you know, they were open to anything and that was something that they were going to have to look at for flexibility. I know there's been some reports since specifying that, you know, they are mentioning his name or at least answering questions from other teams. It all makes a lot of sense. And we've seen the Rays trade a lot of really good players over the years. It's how they do business. And possibly trading Blake Snell is another thing uh, that they may do. And, and it gives them financial flexibility now and in the future. I think if they do so, it's going to be for, you know, there's never going to be probably another Chris Archer deal. But, you know, that type of a deal yeah. where they're going to give up a really good player and maybe attach someone to him. Like it could be more of a James Shields. Uh, Jake McGee, the uh, Wade Davis deal, excuse me, with Kansas City when they got Will Myers and you know, Jake Odorizzi. I mean, it could be a, something like that where they you know, give up some really good players and create some financial flexibility, but they're going to want to get back some really good talent. I, I don't, yeah, I think the, the, those types of trades only occur where the Rays get a lot in return. And then it also, you mentioned the flexibility, because they didn't sign Charlie Morton, I think there probably are some guys who on one-year deals, they would have interest in the marketplace, especially while Chirinos and McKay are recovering for next year and guys like McClanahan and Brent Honeywell and I could mention Joe Ryan and some others are building into next year. They want to have you know some, some continued depth and stability for next year too as they try and get back to the playoffs. Right, and I think experience counts for something. So I, I would totally agree with you that I would think they would bring in a couple of guys, whether it's on minor league deals, you know, with the obviously with the high, you know, the major league salary if they make the roster, or if they do uh, spend a roster spot. You know, one thing to note on Wednesday night is they did non-tender a pre-arbitration player in Edgar Garcia. That does two things. One, the more obvious one is it opens up a roster spot. Whereas if there was someone that they plan to turn around and sign here in the next day or two that was non-tendered elsewhere, it makes it an easier move for them to just be able to put that person on the roster it gives them an open spot if they want to take someone in the rule five draft mm -hmm. uh and you also have the possibility that by doing it that way they can re-sign edgar garcia and bring him back to the big leagues before the may 15th deadline whereas if they had released him they would have to wait till may 15th now that probably to me is the lesser benefit here i think the roster spots have more value but it did show me that they clearly have a, you know, there's always a next step, and I think that next step must be something they have in mind. Correct, and the next step could be a, a guy who was non-tendered, but it also could be somebody who is on the free agent market that they're closing in on, too. I mean, that's certainly possible. You know, if, if That's why Trevor Bauer was seen flying into Tampa. I wouldn't go that quite, Ralph. <laughs> and, 
and for the most part, it's been a quiet offseason for most teams, Mark. I think Mike Miner's the only multi-year deal. Are the virtual winter meetings going to start to move the uh, move things along, or are we going to be? It's going to be quiet for a bit in your mind. Yeah, I don't. I, I haven't seen the full agenda here, but from what I've heard, this virtual winter meeting thing is not going to facilitate player transactions. I mean, you know, there's going to be meetings that the GMs are going to virtually via Zoom and things like that. The rules meetings and the uh, meetings with the MLB officials and things like that. But I, I don't think that you're going to see a flurry of activity driven by the fact that they're all going to be on Zoom. It's going to be much easier for these guys and, and women, as we have Kim Ang now in Miami, to text and call each other than it is to do this over Zoom. I mean, I think that, if anything, it might retard the progress of something happening because, the, again, just my gut feeling, they're going to be like, all right, let's just get through this week and all this weird forced stuff and these meetings and then we'll kind of re- we'll kind of regroup at the end of the week, and then let's get back to business. So I'd be surprised if there's a flurry of activity from the virtual winter meetings. Mark, good stuff. Uh, we'll be following and reading at uh, uh, in the Tampa Bay Times, and uh, I'm kind of curious what comes out the next several weeks. It's there, there's certainly a lot still to come, I think, in the race offseason. They still might have some more guys. Look, we talked about possibly trading Snell. I mean, I think Kevin Kiermaier is possibly a trade candidate as well. Yeah, I've seen some people speculating that maybe this is when they trade Willie Adamas if they want to clear a spot for Wander Franco. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they could do. But reality is they have to get some players, too. They don't have a catcher right now, Neil. And if they were playing tomorrow, I think you might be asked to suit up. Not as a left-hander, Mark. (laughs) They're innovative, Neil. Don't ever discount the Rays. Innovative, but also smart. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us, Mark. Anytime, Neil. Well, we certainly appreciate some time from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And joining us from the race front office is Kevin Eibach. And Kevin, first of all, I'm guessing you were fairly involved in all the tender discussions. Was there any difficult decision for the group or was this a fairly easy process for you guys in this next step of the offseason? Thanks for having me, Neil. You know, I in terms of the tender deadline and, and some of the other deadlines we've been up against the last couple of weeks, um, you know, obviously, we've got a later start in the offseason playing deep into the postseason, and that's a good problem to have. So none of these decisions are ever easy, and they were certainly expedited this year. Um, the timeline was. So, um, yeah, I, I think we want to keep our club together as best as possible and look towards the future. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that, um, you know, going through the tender deadline, a lot of our players that we wanted that we consider core players and we want to continue to develop and then have them help us in 2021. So. Um, I wouldn't call anything easy, but, um, you know, we were able to make decisions and and, and do the right thing for the organization. You know, at the tender deadline, there were a lot of people around the game suggesting that there were going to be a flood of non-tenders. We saw basically the same number of non-tendered players in Major League Baseball as last year. Is that surprising to you? You know, I... It might be a little bit surprising. I think there's just so much unknown, you know, starting back when when the pandemic began and we were all in spring training in Port Charlotte. There's so many unknowns out there just about how the season would play out, how the market would play out, certainly how this offseason would play out. So I'm not sure that any of us were smart enough to predict exactly what the what the non-tender landscape would look like. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff publicly out there, um, you know, with with predictions and um, I, I think looking back, um, you know, teams 
teams are trying to navigate the same waters that we are and, and trying to make sure, you know, how to be responsible um, in, in terms of payroll, but also field competitive teams and, and keep their rosters intact for, for teams like us that are, you know, in a situation coming off a really good campaign here in 2020 and, and want to do better for 2021. Obviously, you and the pro scouting department provide a lot of detail, a lot of information about players. Is the quality of the non-tender class better this year than it was a year ago? Um, from your standpoint, have you really been able to kind of sink your teeth and evaluate in the last 12 to 24 hours? Well, I think that the one thing about the non-tender market is there's just a little bit more certainty with these players. Um, you know, on the pro personnel and pro scouting side, um, you know, we pride ourselves in our, in our in-person evaluations of, of the market, um, whether it be the minor league free agent market, um, the major league market, um, the trade market, certainly. Um, and without uh, with the lack of a minor league season this year, there's a lot of trade discussions that we've had in the last few weeks um, where there's a lot of guesswork involved about where some of these players have been, um, you know, over the past year if they were not at the alternate site. So to answer your question, I think with the major league non-tenders, there's a little bit more certainty there about what you're getting. Uh, a lot of these players, you know, were, were participants in the abbreviated season. Um, some spent some time at the alternate site, but regardless, I think there's, we just have a lot more information, um, both in live or video looks, and then certainly with the data um, to feel a little bit more comfortable about what's up there on the, on the top end of the spectrum. And also, you know, in, in what we would consider to be the value bid. From the outside looking in, the market has moved slowly. I think as we record this, Mike Miner is the only free agent to sign a multiple-year deal, and that was two years. From your perspective, are things moving slowly as well? And if not, where are they moving more quickly? You know, I think our focus this offseason, you know, very much so is is to address some of the needs that we have going into next year on the pitching front, the catching front. Um, you know, obviously, we have some holes to fill. Um, we are, we do our due diligence every off season. So I would not say things are moving more slowly for us this year. Um, you know, we take time to, you know, really analyze the market, see where we find value. Um, you know, certainly have our, our players lined up that we're interested in. Um, so I, I, we're never very active at the front end of the market every off season. Occasionally we'll get a few deals done prior to the winter meetings, which obviously will be virtual this year. Um, but we we typically do some of our best work later in December into January, um, you know, all the way up until major league reporting dates and in, in, in camps next year. Um, we typically use the entirety of the off season, and we're not a team that that often rushes into the market. So I would say this is pretty status quo for us. Uh, haven't noticed a real difference, but but certainly other teams that may be more aggressive historically um, in the free agent market may may be treading water more than normal. Um, in terms of the marketplace itself, you guys have a very unique position right now. Uh, you do have an open 40-man spot for a free agent, but you also potentially could have some openings that are going to occur in February or March, assuming Colin Pochet and Jalen Beeks and Yanni Chirinos are on the roster and then would move to the 60-day injured list coming back from Tommy John. How much can that help you guys in terms of your push for minor league free agents, guys with split contract situations like an Aaron Loop or someone like that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point, Neil. You know, it's it's always unfortunate when players get injured, and, and we certainly had our fair share of those last year. Um, and, and those injuries that are, that are longer term in nature, where 
um, you know, you foresee an opportunity to to put a guy on a 60 day IL um, in 2021. It, it does create opportunity. Um, and I think this baseball in general is a game of opportunity. And whether it's on the trade market, on the free agent market, I think any time that we can give someone an opportunity and, and they can see a lane or a path, it's a competitive advantage for us. Um, you know, I think we've done a wonderful job of doing that, you know, in the past decade since I've been here. Um, so certainly navigating the minor league free agent market, the non-tender market, um, you know, even the major league market. Um, you know, if we don't sign somebody to a major league deal, I think that they can still see the light at the end of the tunnel. They can still see a path to making an opening day roster. Um, so I, I certainly would think that's a competitive advantage for us. And, um, you know, I, if, if I'm a player and I'm an agent and I'm looking at our situation, you know, I, I could see a lot of opportunity there where I would want my client to land, um, to land with the Rays, knowing that they're going to have a full lane of opportunity. Um, regardless of what the contract itself might look like. And I think there's two points to add to that. One, the success that you guys have had with minor league for agents. Um, I would think what loop comes to mind from a guy who's got big league experience, guys with less experience like Aaron Slagers, John Curtis, Ryan Sheriff, who all were given the chance with the Rays last year and all did fairly well. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a huge selling point when we're on constant conversations with these agents. Um, you know, we can point back to to a lot of the gentlemen that you just named and, 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 and say that, hey, they came in here on minor league deals and they ended up being very integral parts of our team in 2020. You know, it was very satisfying to see some of those guys trot out to the mound uh, coming out of the bullpen in in the playoffs and in the World Series. Um, so I, I think. Uh, Anytime you're talking to agents and you're talking to players, there's, you know, you always, there's a lot of saying the right things, but I think the proof's in the pudding and, um, you know, being able to point back to real world examples of how guys got opportunities with us, uh, certainly this past year, but even, even dating back before that, I think, I'd like to hope at least that we've built a reputation within the agent world and within the industry that, um, you know, we can back up a lot of the selling points um, that when we, that we, you know, breach with these agents when we're talking to them and, and negotiating contracts. One other point I wanted to bring up, Kevin, in terms of the selling aspect of this, does the fact that this team has won the last three years and because of that, you're going to take the guy who you think can best help you win uh, in terms of giving them a major league opportunity act as a selling point for you? Yeah, oftentimes the intersection between opportunity and winning um isn't always there. And I think that that's a decision that a lot of players and a lot of agents have to make, um, you know, when they're looking at free agency is, do I go to a place that may be not that competitive, but I'm gonna have an opportunity. Um, so I can either get the best contract financially, or I can just really sell that opportunity. But you know, you're not working into a competitive environment. I think we have the unique blend here where we have opportunity we've shown we've given opportunity to players but we're a competitive team and we have been for some while and i think that all things being equal the competitive nature of players you know they want of course they're going to want the opportunity but they also know that they're going to have an opportunity to come in here and compete and pitch in competitive games and in important games in september and into october um you know if, if everything goes well for them so i think that's that's a very intriguing aspect of what we have to offer. And I, and I, and I hear that the feedback that I get from agents regularly is that's very appealing to their clients. 
you obviously have to maximize every single resource. That's kind of the way that the Rays have to go. You brought up the winter meetings. They are virtual now, but there is still a Rule 5 draft and a minor league Rule 5 draft where it wasn't that long ago that you found Orion Thompson. How much preparation do you guys put into the major and minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft, and how difficult is it to find, maybe not Ryan Thompson again, but someone who can be a productive major leaguer? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, for a lot of our staff in the office, it's it's one of the most exciting times of year. Um, just preparing for the Rule Five, it involves a lot of people. You know, we send out recommendations um, or ask for recommendations rather from our scouting staff, our player development staff. Um, you know, encouraged it, it to be a really inclusive process. And um, you know, two of the guys in the office, uh, Ryan Bristow and Ani Colombi, are are two um, are, are two guys that really spend a lot of hours behind the computer and and trying to put together our lists and you know working in coordination with those guys um, has been a lot of fun in the past um, and, and it has led to a lot of successes whether it's a ryan thompson who you know you see surface at the big league level um you know or even some of the christopher ogandos and hector figueroa's and some of the guys the ian gardics of the past um that we've selected in the minor league side and have gone on to perform pretty well for us so a lot of work goes into it um you know, from a lot of people and the, the collaborative aspect of it is, is really exciting and, um, you know, gives us an opportunity, even in a year where there's more uncertainty, like I had alluded to before that, you know, a lot of these players we haven't seen in the past year. Um, but it's, it's a lot of video work. Um, fortunately we had a lot of our scouts at instructional league games, uh, there, they allowed scout access, um, back in September and October. So we were able to get some boots on the ground there and lay eyes on some of the targets that we might have. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very fun process. It can be a rewarding process, um, for us. And it's something that, you know, th that we want to make sure that we continue to, to try to have an impact in that area. I have a decent understanding of the major league rule five draft in terms of, you know, what makes someone eligible, the rules. Can you, in layman's terms, try and explain the minor league rule five for a lot of fans who have no idea as to how a guy ends up in that portion of the draft? Sure, Neil. You know, I it's the minor league phase, and, and that's the one that honestly that we participate in more often. Um, you're all the players that are eligible for the Rule Five. Um, you can, they can either go on your forty man, um, similar to Josh Lowe or Taylor Walls or Drew Strotman, um, players that we've added to our forty man roster. And then those are usually the the transactions you hear about um, who was protected on the major league roster. But below that, um, the rest of the Rule Five eligible pool. Um, you can either protect at the AAA roster um, or a AA or below roster. So if a guy's protected on a AAA roster, um, the only way that you can access that player in the Rule 5 is to select him in the major league phase of the draft. That's the, that's the phase that everybody's familiar with, um, where the player has to stick on a roster, the, the big league roster next year. I think the last example of, of a player that we took in that phase was Kevin Gadea several years ago. Um, but there are a lot more handcuffs, as we call them, or restrictions um, that make it tough for those players to stick. On the minor league phase, and these are players that are protected at a double-A roster or below, you can select these players for $24,000. And the only handcuffs you have is um, you know, the financial aspect of this. The player does not have to play in triple-A for you. I think that's a misconception that's out there is if you draft a guy in the triple-A phase, that he has to go to the Durham roster. Um, that's not true. They can play anywhere in the organization. The, the Ryan Thompsons, the Ian Gardics were, were at Montgomery. 
um, when we uh, rule five them on the minor league side. The Christopher Ogandos and the Hector Figueroas were on rosters in A ball and below. So, um, you know, it gives you more flexibility to retain the player. Um, there's no minimum games requirement that they play. Um, obviously, with the Ryan Thompson example, you can you can rule minor league rule five a an injured player um, and continue his rehab and and hopefully see the fruits of your labor uh, when he comes back healthy like we have. Um, so just because there's less handcuffs and less restrictions on the minor league phase, we tend to be more active there. So you let's say he was not protected, what, on a triple A roster so you could claim him in the triple A phase? Is that kind of how it works? Correct. It, it very much mimics the major league phase where there's a selection order. Um, and this year, for, for very good, for all the right reasons, we're picking it uh, towards the back just in front of the Dodgers. Um, so that order will go through on the AAA phase. And what happens often, too, when you're picking that deep is you may target some players that may not get to you at 29, at pick 29. Um, you know, they may – other teams are, are staring at a lot of the same information that we are or have a lot of – uh, the same scouting reports out there on some of these players. So uh, picking at the at the back end of the round, even in the minor league phase, has has some disadvantages certainly. Um, so there's no guarantee that our our targets will be there um, when it when it becomes our turn. Um, but but yes, I, it, it very much mimics the process of the major league phase, just without the the, the subsequent roster restrictions. Kevin, good stuff. Good luck on the free agent market and with uh, the virtual winter meetings and. Hopefully we'll be able to see you in person soon. Great, Neil. I appreciate it. Hope all's well. Certainly appreciate the time of Kevin Eibach from the race front office joining us, as well as Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. As news develops, we certainly will have it for you on our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. Whatever takes place during the virtual me- uh, winter meetings, we'll be covering it. And we also expect to have a podcast next week. Uh, and obviously, as events warrant, during the course of the offseason. We certainly appreciate you being with us, and we will chat with all of you soon.